Hey, good morning, everyone. It must be Friday morning because it's time for Hollywood Breaks. It's good to be with you this morning. And of course, we wouldn't be here without our Hollywood insider, Keith Rao. Keith, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. Good to see you all yet again. <laughs> hey, Keith, before we go too far, I, I have to say, um, just behind the scenes, a little snippet. Uh, our lady Lydia, who is producing this show for us, it, uh, lives in a country in Eastern Europe called Moldova. And uh, they had an amazing uh, uh, revolution, or, yeah, I guess revolution this, this uh, week where they elected the first female president of the country, which is a huge win for them. And uh, she's more on the progressive end, helping the country uh, possibly get into the EU and that kind of stuff. So Lydia, I just wanna say congratulations to you guys. We're, we're proud of you guys and hope all goes well. It sure is beating the heck out of our version of the presidential election. Yeah, at least, at least they got those resolved in about a week. Ours is still ongoing after almost a month. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we have a lot to learn. Yes, indeed. All right, Keith, before we go too far, I'm looking over your right shoulder and I'm seeing um, Jumper. That's, um, if I remember that, that's like Darth Vader meets um, H.G. Wells or something like that yeah. going on there. Basically, that's that's a good that's a good way to uh, to distill it down. Yes, so this is the jumper poster, um, starring uh, H uh, Hayden Christensen, also known as Anakin Skywalker. Um, and uh, you know, even though the movie wasn't that spectacular, the reason I picked this poster was uh, one, it was from our in-house team, um, who was always great, sort of fixing our last-minute troubles with any poster or coming up with original poster ideas. Um, I always loved this tagline, Anywhere is Possible. Um, it was always one of my faves. Um, also, this is the first movie I really worked on at Fox, one of the first. Um, and also the first one with um, uh, trailer editor extraordinaire, um, Nick Temple. Um, when oh yeah, first, Nick Temple, very cool. He was yeah. first getting his start um, under the Cimarron banner. Um, it was just him and another AE, and that was about it. Now he's hugely successful at Wildcard. Um, so, you know, I thought this was a cool little that's very cool. Uh, throwback to my, my times as a junior exec way back when. <laughs> yeah, of course, I, I know Nick from uh, my trailer park days. Mm -hmm. um, but it makes me think you know, we probably should, one of these episodes, we should just talk about the, the art of the movie trailer, the movie yeah. promotion, because there's so much happening, different talent bases, different types of promotions, different reasons why you choose different talents. Um, and Nick Temple and, and others that we work with, there's so many great, so much great talent out there. It'd be, it'd be great to highlight some of our our, uh, yeah, and it's, it's a really friends. it's a really unique skill set. Uh, you know, what I found when I first came back to the East Coast and working um, with other editors here on the East Coast who aren't in the trailer world, everybody thinks they can just cut a trailer. It's so easy, but it's such a it's such a, uh, a refined skill set. You really have to learn how to sort of take a two and a half, the two hour, thirty minute, two hour movie and encapsulate it down to two minutes and thirty seconds yeah. in a way that's compelling to your audience. And that's not something that's easy to do on top of dealing with filmmakers, executives, and the laundry list of issues that you have to go through. There's so many skills that are involved, just, you know, pick, picking the right music, um, you know, all those kinds of things uh, factor in it. There's a real skill to it. Yeah, the sound effects, the transitions, the music, the effects, yeah, the exactly. titles, the voiceover, there's, that's a, it's a truly so gorgeous I mean, when I first got into it, it, you know, I didn't really have a ton of experience in that world because my, my background was film development and production. And I come in and I'm working in marketing and putting together a trailer and all, every trailer is like a little movie. So there's a, there's a pre-product, there's basically a pre, an actual making of it and there's a post process because you also have to worry about the visual effects of it all and, you know, shots that are finished that aren't finished and you learn about yeah. the, the effects world. And it really was a, it's a fascinating experience 
being a part of watching a trailer go from beginning to end. And yeah, I love it. There's a, uh, I think we should, we should pull back the veil. <laughs> yeah, we should pull back the veil. As a matter of fact, we should, um, yeah, yeah, we should pull back the veil. We should make them part of a regular series. We, yeah, I agree. All right, let's uh, let's talk about our topics this week because there's um, some interesting things happening. I think uh, uh, you know Hollywood breaks. Maybe we should change the name a little, a little bit to like Hollywood distributes. There's obviously enough to uh, figure out within the changing environment, but more and more, more and more studios are really kind of playing with this game of distribution. There's yep. clearly the movie theaters have shut down. I think uh, maybe the speculation that behaviors are now totally broken, so we're not going to be able to cover and do the movies like we used to but it really feels like they're working really hard at uh, condensing those markets down and um, getting those core teams in place i'm mostly thinking about um, um, uh, wonder woman 1984 that news came out and disney with disney plus kind of uh, made some new changes this week why don't you tell us what's happening there yeah so there's a lot it was you know it, it always fascinates me when you know we're we'll be following the news throughout the week and getting ready for the show and I, I get to like a Thursday and I'm like, what am I going to talk about? And then all this news kind of breaks on Thursday night and it really gives us our show sort of a lot of info to sort of discuss. So it's sort of broken out into like three parts, really. Um, so you've got what happened with Universal, which was sort of early, you know, towards the end of the middle of the week where um, they've already made a deal with AMC to sort of shorten the window, um, the release, the theatrical release window. And now they've made a deal with Cinemark, which is the third largest um, distributor and uh, or exhibitor, I should say, and um, it, it basically it's the same same similar deal to what AMC got. Um, and I give Jeff Shell and his team a lot of credit for really just being on the forefront of this and really just trying to not sit back on their laurels and just sort of you know we really need to take this opportunity to try to revolutionize the business because they understood that this pandemic was not gonna be sort of a one-off that was just gonna go away and then everything was gonna go back to normal. It's almost like they had foresight that this was gonna be a long-term thing that they really had to figure out a solution to. And, you know, I'll give, you know, Jeff Shell has always sort of been on the forefront of sort of looking at ways to try to, to play with the exhibition model, find, find out new ways. Universal has always been willing to experiment. And I give them a lot of credit for that because there aren't a lot of studios that are willing to do that. Yeah. And I think that they've really been on the forefront of it. And they were, you know, with Trolls World Tour, they were right out in front. They said, no, we're going to send us to Peabody. We're not going to push the release. We're too close to release. We spent all our money. We got promo partners to worry about. We can't just push it to 2021 and cross our fingers. And they were smart because it was a family movie and it did really well for them. Um, you know, there's an argument that could be made that they may, not, may have made more money had it been released theatrically, which is entirely possible, but not in this current environment. There's just no way. Yeah, I mean, and some of it, like if I wanted to take the other side, the, the timing of that, I mean, we, it was early in the shutdown process. You know, they, they had a family run movie. There wasn't a lot of competition because everyone was kind yeah. of in panic and they took a bold step and moved forward. Um, if they had any competition, it's possible that it wouldn't have got the same returns that, the, that they got, but it didn't give them they do seem to be carving out something different, don't they? Where, where Disney and, and Warner Brothers and such are, are really pulling onto the OTT platforms, like making a home entertainment more accessible and getting higher tickets there. Yeah, I mean, Universal is saying, let's get these movie theaters working differently. Let's right, make different right. deals with them, but let's get people right. to go have that experience. It's interesting because, you know, when World Tour came out, there was a lot of angst on the AMC side. Like, we're never releasing another Universal movie. This is ridiculous. 
And now it's Universal is the one studio that is trying to negotiate with the exhibitors. Like, listen, we don't, they're not just saying, we're not, we're just pushing it to Peacock. We're just going to push it over to Peacock. We're going to release it there. Um, they're like, no, we want to try to make this work for you guys. So here's how we can maybe make this work. They want, they seem to be fully invested in the theatrical experience and not just paying it lip service. We yeah. look at what Warner, what Warner Brothers is doing, which is Wonder Woman 1984, big superhero tentpole, arguably the one movie in the DC universe that has very little controversy around it. They're now releasing that on HBO Max and in theaters on Christmas Day. So they're doing a concurrent release. Yeah. At the same time, they're not adopting the Disney model of charging a premium. It's just going to be on HBO Max. So if you're already a subscriber, you're already, you, you can get it. But if you're not, then you're going to subscribe. I think what they're trying to do here is what Disney did similarly with Hamilton earlier in the summer, where they bumped up a release that was scheduled for 2021 and they brought it up and it led to a spike in um, subscriptions to Disney Plus. Yeah, but um, I have to I, say, like, I, I'm going to be the bold one here today and cut some of it down, but I, I think it's a little milk toast, right? It's like they didn't take any step. They're like, let's just give it, put it everywhere just in case we can make money. Yeah. And I, I'm sure they're going to make money, but what what a kind of a lame experience of a rollout of a movie to to say like at the same time you watch the movie theater, you can also take it on HBO Max. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's part and not of have that. any of that old play. Like, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you know Jason Kalar, who's now the head of Warren Media, comes from Hulu. He's sort of been reimagining how the whole Warner Warner Media ecosystem works, and they just had a massive round of layoffs, and you know basically shifting everything to the HBO, like producing content for HBO Max. And yeah. what I meant earlier was like, a lot of executives are paying lip service to the idea of the theatrical experience. Like, oh, it's still an important part of our business. Nobody's really investing, really trying to engage. And they've always been doing that. Even before this hit, like I said, they were always trying to experiment putting movies up early and, you know, the same day and date and charging a premium on, on PVOD. So they've always been experimenting. And, you know, it seems like the other studios are like experimenting, but at the same time, they're like, well, we just need to make money. We don't yeah. care about the theatrical, you know, our exhibiting partner, ex exhibition partners at this point. I mean, that may not necessarily be how they feel per se, but that's sort of the impression that it gives that there's okay. not really a, a major support. And what's sort of, I'll sort of spin, pivot into the next piece of information that, this, that came out this week is that Disney Plus is now contemplating releasing three of their um, remakes, <laughs> animation remakes, onto Disney Plus exclusively. Um, so skipping that would, the theaters, right? Yep, yeah, they'd skip the theaters. Now, they're just mulling it. They haven't made a decision yet, but the fact that it's out in the world means that they've already started the conversation. So they're mulling, uh, moving the animated remake of Pinocchio, Peter Pan, and Cruella DeVille, all from, um, from theatrical release to Disney Plus. Yeah. Um, and, and no premium charge. This would just, well, as of right now, there's no discussion of premium charge, but that doesn't mean that there, it could eventually come down. Yeah, but I but, have a feeling that's trying to feed, they have a different problem to solve. They're trying to feed, you know, 76 yeah. million subscribers that need new content right. on exactly. in the traditional Disney sense of new content, yes. not the Mandalorian and, and the other stuff they have going on. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that, that has been a struggle for them because like I said, they had Hamilton in July, which was a huge driver of subscriptions as was the Mandalorian. However, yeah. most people are still watching the classic oldies. Like my kids watch Frozen 2. Like when they go on, they don't. They, over and over and over again. Over I mean, and over and over repeat. again. They're yeah. not watching anything because there's a 
a lot of new stuff on Disney Plus. Yeah. It just isn't. And yeah. I think you're right that that's that's definitely playing into it. But at the same time, there's no conversation about you know well what about exist exhibition or what about theatrical, um, what about the movie going experience? There doesn't seem to be a lot of conversation at some of the studios about how we uh, how we sort of work to make sure that both models succeed and survive in some form and throughout this pandemic. Now, I will say that I do think the theater experience is in for a rough go over the course of the next year and a half. I think there's gonna have to be some serious thinking about changing the theatrical experience a little bit, making it a more pleasure, pleasurable experience to, get, to coax people out from their homes and come back. Let me talk about that real quick, because I, because, um... So I'm going to put my shrewd business hat on, right? I'm going to, I'm going to play this like uh, poker game that sometimes is played um, behind the scenes here. If you have um, Disney and they have the opportunity to influence a marketplace with Marvel movies or Disney movies or whatever, right? When they uh, take their, their first run movies, put them into the theater, they obviously make the first money coming out of the theater. But if, it, if it's a long tail model, the, the theaters make a lot of money. That's the win-win of the movie distribution game. Mm -hmm. Um, with the Paramount Decree shut down, as we speculate, Disney had some influence in that because they want to get into the movie theater game again. Wouldn't you, as Disney, want to not make theaters successful for a little while so that they hurt a little bit? And then when you go acquire Pacific Theaters or AMC or whatever you're going to do, you can buy them at a discount. Different, yeah. than, different than Universal, who says... Wait a second. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna win this next phase, I need to start making sure these theaters, Cinemark and AMC's of the world, ha are have have some security, so that Disney doesn't just go and take and buy out all the possible distribution for Universal films. Mm -hmm. So, do you think there's a different battle taking place? I mean, because we're seeing like two different items play out, all kind of about distribution and in different models. And you know, you're back. You have to back your horse, man. You got to yeah. figure out who's going to win the race and back that horse. Do you think there's a little bit, I'm, I know I'm a, uh, speculating a few steps ahead, but it feels like there's a little bit of a battlefield going on that's invisible to most yeah, of us. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you brought up both Universal and Disney, because if you think about it, they both sort of under their umbrella companies have uh, sort of an entertainment, uh, family entertainment realm. So you've got Universal Studios, Islands of Adventure in Florida, you know, obviously Disney, Disney World, Disneyland, California Adventure. So they've all have those two companies have the experience to potentially buy a theater and make it a true enjoyable experience for families and for consumers. Yeah. Um, so that's not to mention, not to mention Comcast is an OTT platform to some degree. Yeah. I mean, Comcast has a exactly. network uh, to, to your home as well as Disney Plus has an internet. Yeah. I, I mean, I was thinking about this the other day when I was driving, you know, cause I'm out here in the suburb, suburbs of Philadelphia and obviously Comcast is a huge influence in Philadelphia and on the East coast in general. And, you know, I was driving around and there are a lot of old school theaters here um, just because Philadelphia has been around for a long time. And, you know, out here on the main line, there's a lot of old school buildings and in Philadelphia in general. And, you know, I, I was speculating to myself, you know, it would be really smart if Comcast just kind of swooped in, bought one of these little theaters and just did a little experimenting. You could do it on the, on the D, quiet, it would be quiet because it's in the suburbs. So nobody would really talk about it necessarily. They probably would, but... It wouldn't yeah. be like if you swooped in and bought an AMC and you could play with it and you could play with the model and see what works and see if you can, you know, if, if it's effective in bringing people back into the theaters. Sure. And then you could branch it out from there because a lot of these theaters here 
have sort of that classic architecture. It's not just a giant warehouse with a bunch of seats slapped in it, which is really what you're getting these days with the current um, sure. you know, movie going experience. So, I mean, I think that's a possibility too. But they could also go, I mean, they could also buy up, you know, something, one of the theaters on 34th Street in Manhattan or down at Battery yeah. Park and have a yeah. larger demographic audience that was conducive to it. But, you know, in, in the realm of Manhattan, that's a, a small buy-in. Yeah. And um, get an ROI and still experiment, almost like El Capitan, which is Disney's mainstay with Pacific Theaters. You know, they have a, yeah. this hidden partnership of how that thing works. Um, yeah, yeah, I just, I, I have a feeling there's something, there's a battle taking place and I just want to record it now so that when I'm right in the future, we can backtrack to this and Lydia will drag this <laughs> episode out and say, Tim was like, <laughs> Tim totally nailed this Tim one. He's, the guru. On. he's so just, smart. <laughs> no wonder he's the guy we returned. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, pivot a little bit here to the conversation with, um, Warner brothers, uh, Warner brothers, um, again, is doing something in the theatrical marketing place. Um, they're moving on Blair Rich, J.P. Richards, Jim Gallagher, uh, Gallagher. So there's a lot happening in the in the marketplace over at Warner, mm -hmm. and this is another Warner shift, by the way, right? We already kind of have that that um, that anchor of what they're doing and the games that they're playing over there. Um, do you think they're? Do you think we really are seeing this condensing of the marketing departments into just a small hub of people, regardless of platform? I mean, I, I, I would say probably, I mean, it's, it's tough with Warner Brothers because they're such a legacy studio and their marketing team with the exception of the departure of Sue Kroll, obviously a few years back has really been stable for the, you know, cause Blair Rich worked under Sue and it was sort of like, you know, she just was elevated to the, the top spot. Um, Jim Gallagher came a little later um, after he had their stint at DreamWorks. JP Richards has been there for a while. Um, so it's tough to say. I mean, it, the timing of it is interesting. Um, I mean, there have been rumblings that, you know, they were, that Toby Emmerich, the chairman of Warner, Bro Warner Brothers Studio, was looking to make some shifts pre-COVID. Um, but ultimately, the decision to move was made during this sort of reimagining of Warner Media, which is what Jason Kalar has sort of been positioning these layoffs as. So I, I, it, it definitely looks like it might be headed that direction. Um, you know, Blair and JP and the team are there until February, I believe. So they're going to obviously see through the Wonder Woman 1984 release. Yeah. And then, then they're going to kind of figure out who's poachable. I mean, it wouldn't be surprised me at all if Jason Kalar is heavily involved and in sort of appointing the next head. I could easily be, so I could see it being someone from HBO Max. They sure. bring somebody over to sort of start gelling the, the business yeah. together because, you know, Warner Media for all of its, you know, pluses, was a very siloed business. You know, Turner didn't really talk to Warner Brothers. It was very sort of siloed and Turner was in Atlanta. And yeah. then you had, you know, most of the Warner team in Burbank and you had- And don't forget AOL. Yeah, and then it was AOL. I mean, <laughs> they had a very complicated history. So um, I think it's definitely gonna be interesting to see the moves that are made, you know, once February comes and goes, I'm sure they've already started conversations and trying to looking at how this works. But if, since the timing of it, since it happened during the sort of reorg of Warner Media, it would not surprise me if this is them taking the opportunity to sort of start combining forces, much the way Sony Pictures Entertainment yeah. did a few weeks back, and also what we ultimately predict Disney will do eventually, although there does seem to be there's going to be some territorial battles that are going to happen on, on the on Disney lot in the forthcoming uh, months. Uh, but at the same time, it just seems like that's, this is where this is headed because of all the studios basically saying, 
streaming is our future. This is where the consumers are. So it would make sense that a bulk of your investment would be sort of, you know, putting marketing resources and dollars behind that versus trying to keep the standalone, massive standalone theatrical marketing department, HBO Max's marketing department. Yeah, and so, let's just say like, that maybe book, even bookend our conversation with this, like the idea of the art form of the movie trailer, trying to remarket things into different platforms. We, we've probably repeating ourselves week over week a little bit, but yeah. it's just such a different uh, beast of marketing and, and um, content you're creating for marketing when you're going to an OTT platform instead of watching something in, in movie theater seats and with surround sound and all that kind of experience that the vendors we know, the friends that we know that are in this game, all their lives are gonna to start to shift or even be phased out, which would be even more concerning um, yeah. to the people that we know and serve and care and, and consult with. So um, there's a lot that w we just wanna put out in the marketplace that people are thinking this way and recognizing that the shift does have an impact on them. And some of you might be boosting your sales because this small group of people, you're on the inside of it and they're willing to experiment with you and your team. Other, other vendors, I can imagine, they're just gonna be left out. The, mm -hmm. as, the, as the decision uh, group, uh, critical mass really becomes small and concentrated and focused on some other matrix besides, you know, the art form and, and the beauty and the, and the visibility. Yeah. Um, it's gonna be a shift. It's gonna be a shift in the marketing of these films. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, marketing, theatrical marketing still, you know, you have your, you have your promo partners that mm -hmm really support the film itself, which you don't really see a lot on the sort of the TV side or the OTT side. So there's gonna be that sort of in how that's gonna look. I mean, there's just a lot of changes that are forthcoming. And I, I think if you're sort of looking at the bottom line and sort of the dollars that are coming in and going out, the best way to save money is to sort of try to combine the marketing department and make it one sort of basically an in-house agency that solely is responsible for marketing the content no matter you know where it's going, um, you know from from the, the the content producer. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, like I said, the timing of this, the you know basically effectively getting rid of almost the the leadership team of the theatrical marketing departments. Yeah, uh, leads one to believe that there may be some sort of meld coming. Um, but again, yeah. it, it it goes to territorial battles like because filmmakers are so heavily involved in the theatrical marketing process, as I'm sure producers and showrunners are on the TV side, it, it's gonna be hard for someone like a Toby Emmerich to give up that control. And, and you know, we saw a little bit of it last week when we talked about Peter Rice sort of saying, well, we're gonna still control marketing here. And then it's sort of like, well, well then what's Kareem Daniels role exactly? If he's not necessarily gonna be sort of overseeing the marketing and sort of making sure that it's effective across the platform that they've effectively chosen to release the content on. And I just hope that it doesn't just kind of like dumb down the marketplace. That's my hope is, is that I, in, in the idea of chasing the success, so chasing um, the Netflix of the world, everyone just becomes a copycat. And all we yeah. have then is a bunch of really um, homogenized experiences when yeah. it comes to marketing, instead yeah. of uh, these other major players innovating and changing. That w that's my desire. Like, I think there's uh, way too much uh, audience to capture to, to just- Yeah, and I, I, I think there's a real opportunity for some innovation here. I mean, I think the industry has been caught flat-footed for the last 10 years or so. Netflix caught everyone by surprise. No one really was like, hey, let's just license the content to them versus maybe we should start our own service. Um, those conversations yeah. have only really happened in the last like two years. and. 
there's, a, there's an opportunity for real innovation here. And I hope the industry doesn't let it pass by. Uh, I think you're right. There's, there's a tendency to say, hey, let's just n mimic what Netflix is doing. I don't think that's the right course. Netflix has like 175 million subscribers, something like that. Yeah. You're never really going to catch up to them doing what they're doing. So it's, it's really time to sort of take a look at your business model, figure out ways you can innovate, do it quickly, be, be, not be worried about failing because that's one thing that Netflix doesn't care about. They, they are okay, they're okay with failing. And that's yeah. sort, of the, sort of tech model of like, we need to fail often. And I yeah, think- fail the, fast, right? Yeah, fail fast, fail often. The sort of, that tech mantra needs to sort of leak a little bit into the sort of studio system so that people can understand, you know, the, the heads can understand that this is a time to innovate. This is not a time to sit back on our laurels and just say, well, let's just do what they're doing. So, so let's, um, let's put a, a, a bookmark in this just to, um, to think about, let's invite, let's uh, bring some of our friends on and talk about this marketing thing, uh, what it really means to recognize the changing marketplace and see what else is processing what's going on. I can tell by the sunlight that's slowly moving up my face that we're running out of time and it's yeah. not I'm gonna be blinded by it soon. So, we could go um, on for hours. We could totally go on for hours. Um, but Lydia is uh, has a party to go to, I think. It's Saturday night her time. We gotta uh, yeah. we gotta uh, we gotta wrap it up. <laughs> all right. Well thank you all for joining us this week, Hollywood Breaks. Uh, we sure do appreciate you being part of our experience here, part of our community. Um, we love you and, and the followers we have. Um, next week, we will not be doing a Black Friday special, so uh, we'll put a, a, a pause on it for next week and join you back after the Thanksgiving holiday on our side. Um, and of course, we have to thank the people behind the scenes, uh, Lydia Scarlett, who is our producer, um, our team at RevThink, who supports us and pushes stuff out, and then Go Social. Thank you for all that you're doing and helping us get this information out there. Keith, have a wonderful Thanksgiving with you and your family. You Enjoy too. the time. Enjoy. Thank you. Enjoy your, your week off. Maybe we can just text on Friday and have like a mini show texting, maybe. That's what we'll do. We'll just uh, we'll FaceTime each other. <laughs> just so uh, I can we get have... part of my Because otherwise, <laughs> we play... otherwise I'm just we're gonna then the fourth will be like a three hour show because I'll have so much to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm more uh, I, I I got surf lessons for the whole family next Friday. So oh wow, there you go. The best I'm gonna do is uh, if I can get my shoulder to come over the top of my head, I might be out there surfing. You just stand All up, right. that's the goal. Thank you, my friend. Enjoy Thank the you. East Coast Thanksgiving in the traditional way. Um, you enjoy your turkey and all that stuff. And we'll see you in two weeks. Yep, see you in two weeks. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. <laughs>